0: Section forty four of L'Assommoir. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. L'Assommoir by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Visitelli. Chapter ten the coupeau's new lodging was on the sixth floor staircase b after passing mademoiselle Remanjou's door you took the corridor to the left and then turned again further along the first door was for the apartment of the bijard almost opposite in an airless corner under a small staircase leading to the roof was where pere prue slept two doors further was bazouge's room and the coupeaus were opposite him, overlooking the court, with one room and a closet. There were only two more doors along the corridor before reaching that of the lorilleux at the far end. A room and a closet, no more. The coupeaus perched there now, and the room was scarcely larger than one's hand, and they had to do everything in there, eat, sleep, and all the rest. Nana's bed just squeezed into the closet— she had to dress in her father and mother's room and her door was kept open at night-time so that she should not be suffocated there was so little space that Chauffeurs had left many things in the shop for the poisson a bed a table and four chairs completely filled their new apartment but she didn't have the courage to part with her old bureau and so it blocked off half the window this made the room dark and gloomy "'especially since one shutter was stuck shut. "'Gervaise was now so fat "'that there wasn't room for her in the limited window-space, "'and she had to lean sideways and crane her neck "'if she wanted to see the courtyard. "'During the first few days, "'the laundress would continually sit down and cry. "'It seemed to her too hard "'not being able to move about in her home "'after having been used to so much room. "'She felt stifled.' She remained at the window for hours, squeezed between the wall and the drawers, and getting a stiff neck. It was only there that she could breathe freely. However, the courtyard inspired rather melancholy thoughts. Opposite her on the sunny side, she would see that same window she had dreamed about long ago, where the spring brought scarlet vines. Her own room was on the shady side, where pots of mignonette died within a week. Oh, this wasn't at all the sort of life she had dreamed of. She had to wallow in filth instead of having flowers all about her. On leaning out one day, Gervaise experienced a peculiar sensation. She fancied she beheld herself down below, near the concierge's room under the porch, her nose in the air, and examining the house for the first time. And this leap, thirteen years backwards, caused her heart to throb the courtyard was a little dingier and the walls more stained otherwise it hadn't changed much but she herself felt terribly changed and worn to begin with she was no longer below her face raised to heaven feeling content and courageous and aspiring to a handsome lodging she was right up under the roof among the most wretched in the dirtiest hole the part that never received a ray of sunshine and that explained her tears. She could scarcely feel enchanted with her fate. However, when Gervaise had grown somewhat used to it, the early days of the little family in their new home did not pass off so badly. The winter was almost over, and the trifle of money received for the furniture sold to Virginie helped to make things comfortable. Then, with the fine weather, came a piece of luck. Coupeau was engaged to work in the country at Etampes and he was there for nearly three months without once getting drunk cured for a time by the fresh air one has no idea what a quench it is to the tippler's thirst to leave paris where the very streets are full of the fumes of wine and brandy on his return he was as fresh as a rose and he brought back in his pocket four hundred francs with which they paid the two overdue quarters rent at the shop that the poisson had become answerable for and also the most pressing of their little debts in the neighbourhood. Gervaise thus opened two or three streets, through which she had not passed for a long time. She had naturally become an ironer again. Madame Fauconnier was quite good-hearted, if you flattered her a bit, and she was happy to take Gervaise back, even paying her the same three francs a day as her best worker. This was out of respect for her former status as an employer, The household seemed to be getting on well, and Gervaise looked forward to the day when all the debts would be paid. Hard work and economy would solve all their money troubles. Unfortunately, she dreamed of this in the warm satisfaction of the large sum earned by her husband. Soon she said that the good things never lasted, and took things as they came." What the coupeaus most suffered from at that time was seeing the poissons installing themselves at their former shop. They were not naturally of a particularly jealous disposition, but people aggravated them by purposely expressing amazement in their presence at the embellishments of their successors. The boches and the lorilleux especially never tired. According to them, no one had ever seen so beautiful a shop, they were also continually mentioning the filthy state in which the poisson had found the premises, saying that it had cost thirty francs for the cleaning alone. After much deliberation, Virginie had decided to open a shop specializing in candies, chocolate, coffee, and tea. Lantier had advised this, saying there was much money to be made from such delicacies. The shop was stylishly painted black with yellow stripes. Three carpenters worked for eight days on the interior, putting up shelves, display-cases, and counters. Poisson's small inheritance must have been almost completely used, but Virginie was ecstatic. The Lauriers and the Boches made sure that Gervaise did not miss a single improvement, and chuckled to themselves while watching her expression. There was also a question of a man beneath all this— "'It is reported that Lantier had broken off with Gervaise. "'The neighbourhood declared that it was quite right. "'In short, it gave a moral tone to the street. "'And all the honour of the separation "'was accorded to the crafty hatter "'on whom all the ladies continued to dote. "'Some said that she was still crazy about him, "'and he had to slap her to make her leave him alone. "'Of course, no one told the actual truth.' It was too simple and not interesting enough. Actually, Lantier climbed to the sixth floor to see her whenever he felt the impulse. Mademoiselle Romanjou had often seen him coming out of the coupons at odd hours. The situation was even more complicated by neighbourhood gossip linking Lantier and Virginie. The neighbours were a bit too hasty in this also. He had not even reached the stage of buttock-pinching with her still the lauriers delighted in talking sympathetically to gervaise about the affair between lantier and virginie the boches maintained they had never seen a more handsome couple the odd thing in all this was that the rue de la goutte d'or seemed to have no objection to this new arrangement which everyone thought was progressing nicely those who had been so harsh to gervaise were now quite lenient towards virginie Gervaise had previously heard numerous reports about Lantier's affairs with all sorts of girls on the street, and they had bothered her so little that she hadn't even felt enough resentment to break off the affair. However, this new intrigue with Virginie wasn't quite so easy to accept, because she was sure that the two of them were just out to spite her. She hid her resentment, though, to avoid giving any satisfaction to her enemies, Mademoiselle Romanjou thought that Gervaise had words with Lantier over this, because one afternoon she heard the sound of a slap. There was certainly a quarrel, because Lantier stopped speaking to Gervaise for a couple of weeks, but then he was the first one to make up, and things seemed to go along the same as before. Coupeau found all this most amusing. The complacent husband, who had been blind to his own situation, laughed heartily at Poisson's predicament then coupeau even teased gervaise her lovers always dropped her first the blacksmith and now the hat-maker the trouble was that she got involved with undependable trades she should take up with a mason a good solid man he said such things as if he were joking but they upset gervaise because his small grey eyes seemed to be boring right into her on evenings when coupeau became bored being alone with his wife up in their tiny hole under the roof he would go down for Lantier and invite him up. He thought their dump was too dreary without Lantier's company, so he patched things up between Gervaise and Lantier whenever they had a falling out. In the midst of all this, Lantier put on the most consequential airs. He showed himself both paternal and dignified. On three successive occasions he had prevented a quarrel between the coupeaus and the poissons. The good understanding between the two families formed a part of his contentment. Thanks to the tender, though firm, glances with which he watched over Gervaise and Virginie, they always pretended to entertain a great friendship for each other. He reigned over both Blonde and Brunette with the tranquillity of a pasha, and fattened on his cunning. The rogue was still digesting the coupos when he already began to devour the poisson. "'Oh, it did not inconvenience him much. "'As soon as one shop was swallowed, he started on a second. "'It was only men of his sort who ever have any luck. "'It was in June of that year that Nana was confirmed. "'She was then nearly thirteen years old, "'as tall as an asparagus shoot run to seed, "'and had a bold, impudent air about her. "'The year before she had been sent away from the catechism class "'on account of her bad behavior and the priest had only allowed her to join it this time through fear of losing her altogether, and of casting one more heathen onto the street. Nana danced for joy as she thought of the white dress. The Lorilleuxs, being godfather and godmother, had promised to provide it, and took care to let everyone in the house know of their present. Madame Lerat was to give the veil and the cap, Virginie the purse, and Lantier the prayer-book, "'so that the coupeaus looked forward to the ceremony without any great anxiety. "'Even the poisson, wishing to give a housewarming, chose this occasion, "'no doubt on the hatter's advice. "'They invited the coupeaus and the boche, "'whose little girl was also going to be confirmed. "'They provided a leg of mutton and trimmings for the evening in question. "'It so happened that on the evening before, "'coupeau returned home in a most abominable condition.' "'just as Nana was lost in admiration before the presents spread out on the top of the chest of drawers. "'The Paris atmosphere was getting the better of him again, "'and he fell foul of his wife and child with drunken arguments and disgusting language "'which no one should have uttered at such a time. "'Nana herself was beginning to get hold of some very bad expressions "'in the midst of the filthy conversations she was continually hearing.' On the days when there was a row, she would often call her mother an old camel and a cow. "'Where's my food?' yelled the zinc worker. "'I want my soup, you couple of jades. "'There's females for you, always thinking of finery. "'I'll sit on the gewgaws, you know, if I don't get my soup.' "'He's unbearable when he's drunk,' murmured Gervaise out of patience, "'and turning towards him, she exclaimed, "'It's warming up, don't bother us.' "'Nana was being modest, because she thought it nice on such a day. "'She continued to look at the presents on the chest of drawers, "'affectedly lowering her eyelids "'and pretending not to understand her father's naughty words. "'But the zinc-worker was an awful plague "'on the nights when he had had too much. "'Poking his face right against her neck, he said, "'I'll give you white dresses. "'So the finery tickles your fancy. "'They excite your imagination.' "'Just you cut away from there, you ugly little brat. "'Move your hands about. "'Bundle them all into a drawer.' "'Nana, with bowed head, did not answer a word. "'She had taken up the little tulle cap "'and was asking her mother how much it cost. "'And as Coupeau thrust out his hand to seize hold of the cap, "'it was Gervaise who pushed him aside, exclaiming, "'Do leave the child alone. "'She's very good. "'She's doing no harm.' "'Then the zinc worker let out in real earnest.' Ah, the viragos, the mother and daughter, they make the pair. It's a nice thing to go to church just to leer at the men. Dare to say it isn't true, you little slattern. I'll dress you in a sack just to disgust you, you and your priests. I don't want you to be taught anything worse than you know already. Mon Dieu, just listen to me, both of you. At this, Nana turned round in a fury, while Gervaise had to spread out her arms to protect the things which Coupeau talked of tearing. The child looked her father straight in the face. Then, forgetting the modest bearing inculcated by her confessor, she said, clenching her teeth, "'Pig!' As soon as the zinc-worker had had his soup, he went off to sleep. On the morrow he woke in a very good humour. He still felt a little of the booze of the day before, but only just sufficient to make him amiable. He assisted at the dressing of the child, deeply affected by the white dress, and finding that a mere nothing gave the little vermin quite the look of a young lady. The two families started off together for the church. Nana and Pauline walked first, their prayer-books in their hands, and holding down their veils on account of the wind they did not speak but were bursting with delight at seeing people come to their shop-doors and they smiled primly and devoutly every time they heard any one say as they passed that they looked very nice madame boche and madame lorilleux lagged behind because they were interchanging their ideas about clump clump a gobble-all whose daughter would never have been confirmed if the relations had not found everything for her Yes, everything, even a new chemise, out of respect for the holy altar. Madame Laurier was rather concerned about the dress, calling Nana a dirty thing every time the child got dust on her skirt by brushing against the storefronts. At church, Cooper wept all the time. It was stupid, but he could not help it it affected him to see the priest holding out his arms and all the little girls looking like angels pass before him clasping their hands and the music of the organ stirred up his stomach and the pleasant smell of the incense forced him to sniff the same as though someone had thrust a bouquet of flowers into his face in short he saw everything cerulean his heart was touched anyway other sensitive souls around him were wetting their handkerchiefs this was a beautiful day, the most beautiful of his life. After leaving the church, Cooper went for a drink with Laurier, who had remained dry-eyed. End of first part of chapter 10 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey